All right, let's jump into Luke chapter 7. This morning, the title of my message is Finding Peace. Finding Peace. Peace is something we are promised in the Bible. Peace that passes understanding. We ask the Lord for peace. And do you know that peace is a gift from God? It's not something that you work for and get. It's not if you pray hard enough, I'll get peace. It is completely a gift of the Lord. It's not because you worked out your problems or you got everybody to like you. The peace of God is something that is a gift. As we are coming into that kind of relationship with the Lord. But the truth is often something robs us of our peace. Isn't that right? And we know that in our Christian life, maybe something, something is still hanging on to us that keeps coming back in and takes away our peace. One of the keys to having that peace of God is in this passage we're going to look at this morning. It's Luke 7, the end of Luke 7 into chapter 8, and it is being able to listen to God. Did you hear me? Yes. What did I just say? Being able to listen. Now, it's one thing to listen, and it's another thing to hear. The Bible says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Often, we hear things. Jesus would say things to the apostles, and they didn't understand it until way later on. They didn't, they would remember what he said and they would finally get it. And we're all like that. We need the Lord to help us and to open our eyes. I'm actually going to look back again, pick up at verse 31 through 34. It's the end of our section from last week. And it, it just segues into our story that's coming up. Jesus said, to what shall I liken the men of this generation? And what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace, calling to one another and saying, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned for you and you did not weep. John the Baptist came neither eating nor drinking wine. And you said, you say he has a demon. The son of man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by all her children. That last verse, verse 35, is a verse that I read many years ago and is just stuck in my heart. It's one of those verses you might just read and never even remember you read it. But it so intrigued me. Wisdom is justified by all her children. Isn't that interesting? How many of you ever noticed that verse before? Nobody, just me. And what it says to me is in all of the information we're trying to filter, whether from preachers or school or self-help books, we're all trying to figure out what information we can actually apply to our lives, right? What's really going to help me, help me in my marriage, help me in my business, help me in my parenting. 
But essentially, the results proves the wisdom or the information that you applied. In parenting, there's all kinds of opinions about parenting. One of the ways we look at the value of parenting style is to look at the children. Not always. You can do all, I know it, I, disclaimer, I know you can do all the right things and your children still are, have their own mind. I don't know why God did that, but he did. They still do their own thing against your good advice. But generally, wisdom, the wisdom of good parenting is seen in the children. And so also it is seen in spiritual advice, spiritual teaching. The real power and effect of our lives is seen in Jesus or it's seen in other religious systems. And this takes us right into our next story of really the impact of what Jesus is doing in people around him. James says about wisdom, James 3, 16 to 18, for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and evil things are there. But the wisdom of God is from above, first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits. The wisdom of God produces good results. Without partiality, without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So that's essentially it. We already know the word of God is from God. This collection is 66 books that you have in front of you. You all know it's already been tested. Do you know that? We can do that study another time. But it's been put to the test. And one of the great tests of the early church was to observe its effect in the local church. There were many other books circulating in the early church. But the local churches would use the ones that got the right results. Even now you can hear, well, there were other books that got excluded from the canon of scripture, which means standard. Well, the early church didn't read those other books because they essentially lacked the power of God to change their lives. You don't take medication that doesn't work. That's essentially it. You try this one, it takes away your headache. You try this other one, it doesn't take away your headache. Which one are you going to take? So among all those so-called spiritual writings sacred or scripture writings of the early church, these were the ones that passed the effectiveness test. They were inspired of God and therefore produced the results, which is a change in our lives. That's what we're looking for. Wisdom is justified by her children, or the wisdom of God produces the right fruit, the right results. I'm going to then read now verses 6 through 36 through 50, 
And it's, it's almost like the application of everything that Jesus just said. Now, here's a real story, and we're going to see the results of what Jesus is doing. Luke writes, then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus was at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask full of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. She began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with her, the hair of her head. She kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. When, Jesus, when, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And right here is like a direct application of this contrast between two philosophies of ministry. Wisdom is justified by all her children. And we're taken right into, we have the, the philosophy, the wisdom of the Jewish religious system, which has become so legalistic, it has become primarily an outward show of religion rather than an inward change of the heart. Following rules rather than having a right heart. That is essentially where it boils down. Christianity does this as well. Many churches that began right, a work of the Spirit, over the years just become an outward display of religion. And let me say, rather than be judgmental of those religions, we are all susceptible to being like that. Do you know that? 
you and I are just as susceptible to closing off our heart and making it an outward show of religion. And in fact, I would say that most of us have done that at times in our Christianity. So when that happens, we can explain it. Maybe you've been uh, offended or discouraged to some crisis in your life where you felt like God wasn't watching out for you. We've all done it. The key is not to get stuck there. I have been there. And the way you ease your conscience from knowing that you closed off your heart is you say, well, I prayed over my breakfast. I went to church this year. I'm being ridiculous, but the truth is we've all done it. So we understand how easy it is to shift into a legal relationship with God rather than a love relationship. But here's the thing. It will never, ever bring you into the peace of God. Even though you know it's not quite the right way to relate to God, and you know you're not happy there, you'll still just settle for that. And what I've also discovered is how faithful the Lord is to bring me through those times where I have been a little closed off. Have you noticed that in your life? You think, well, it, I can never get back. I'm going to get stuck here. And crisis will do that. You think, I'll, I'll never get out of this place of discouragement. But it's in those times you discover how faithful the Lord is. And he's actually carrying you through those times. It's amazing to learn. So the Pharisee and the Savior, which one in this lab experiment will produce the right results? When somebody invited you to their home, it would be, of course, to get to know Jesus more, to learn more about him. Let's have a talk. Somebody says, hey, I'd love to get together with you. You think either you're in trouble or you just want to get to know more about you. The pastor's least favorite saying in church setting among the people is, pastor, can I talk to you? Don't ever say that to me. Okay, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just telling you up front. Can I talk to you? Preface it with something else. I would love to talk to you and give you a lot of money. Okay, I'm weak, so just help me out, okay? It would be normal to have your guests come into the house in this Jewish setting to provide a basin of water to wash their feet. They wore sandals, walked on dusty roads to greet your guests with a kiss, to anoint their head with oil, symbolizing the joy of the Holy Spirit. It would also be common to give two cups of coffee. This is interesting. You would give your guests first a cup of bitter coffee to symbolize putting away the bitterness of the past. 
And then you would give your guest a cup of sweet coffee to symbolize the sweet time you're going to have together. Pretty cool, huh? That's why coffee is so important to us at church. We just skipped the bitter one and went straight to the good coffee. Now, Simon didn't provide any of these normal host services to Jesus. And it would be also normal for people in the community, if they heard there was a rabbi visiting somebody's house, to go and listen in to the conversation. So this woman comes, it would be normal to come in, but she is so repentant over something that's going on in her life that she can't just listen. She has to come in and is weeping so much that she she washes Jesus' feet with her tears, anoints him with this fragrant, very costly fragrant oil, which in the Bible, when that happens, it's a bit of a, a picture of worship. That worship is costly, it's sacrificial, it's fragrant, and it fills the house with the perfume of this sacrificial gift that she's given to Jesus. It's beautiful. The Pharisee, in turn, thinks if Jesus truly was a prophet, he would know who this woman is and put a stop to this right now. Jesus knows what he's thinking and says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And now this this illustration that Jesus is going to tell to Simon, you know why Jesus uses an illustration is because Simon as a hard-hearted Pharisee can't understand plain truth. This is where Jesus would say to Simon, Simon, you can't handle the truth. Spiritual blindness means often we can't hear plain spiritual teaching. We need stories, illustrations, parables. The word parable means to lay alongside. It's an illustration laid alongside of a spiritual truth that helps the listener get the lesson of the spiritual truth. Simon, I have something to say to you. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One has a great debt. One has a smaller debt. Both of them are unable to pay their debt. The creditor just wipes away both debts. Have you ever had somebody just pay a debt for you? No? It's pretty awesome. That debt in the Bible, debt, financial debt, is a picture of spiritual debt, the sin that begins to hold us back. Our whole American system is so, we're so prone to just wave the credit card. And then it just builds up and it builds up and becomes, well, it feels normal, right? It's kind of normal in our culture. It really becomes a burden that keeps you from moving forward. Well, I would go to school, but I have this debt. I would start this business, but I have a debt. I would go into the mission field, but I have this school loan to pay off. It's just common in our thinking. 
But think of that as like sin that is a debt. And rather than hold on to sin, God says, well, I just want to pay that debt for you. How does that feel? What would you be able to do in your life if God just paid off the debt caused by all of your sin? You just think about that for a second. You were just suddenly free of that burden of debt. Jesus asked Simon, which of these two debtors would love more or be more grateful? It's like there's no mystery to this, this illustration. The one who had the greater debt would be more grateful. If you were forgiven $10, you'd go, man, that is, that's great that I don't have to pay you back that $10. But if you were forgiven a debt of $10,000 you would just be so grateful, wouldn't you? Say you would be grateful. And Simon gets it. He answers rightly. The one who had more debt forgiven was the one who would be more grateful. And so Jesus just connects these two stories, the illustration with what really just happened in the house. Jesus says to Simon, when I came in, you did nothing for me. You didn't wash my feet, didn't provide water to wash my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil. You didn't provide the normal customary things that a host would, would provide. But this woman, when she came in, she was so grateful that I was there. She went out of her way to even find Jesus. She wasn't even worried what other people thought in the house. There was probably many people in the house. She wept over her sins. She washes Jesus' feet, anoints him with this costly, fragrant oil. It's so obvious that she is repentant that Jesus could say, your sins are forgiven or your debt is paid. You know, on the cross, the last thing that Jesus said was, um, it is finished. You know that phrase of the, the seven sayings from the cross? And have you heard that what that is in the original is tetelestai, which could be said paid in full. Did you know that? When Jesus says it is finished, it could also be translated, Jesus was saying paid in full. Isn't that amazing? It's all there if, I can sound like a parent for a second, if you kids are listening. So we read the Bible and we just pay attention to the details. Jesus literally said on the cross, it is finished. Paid in full. That is all of your sin, past, present, and future paid for. Now it gets applied to your account when you in faith ask for that to be paid. The holdup is not on God's part. It's on our part for holding on to the debt. We kind of get used to the debt, don't we? Jesus said to the woman, go in, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Not only was she forgiven, 
But now she can have peace in her life, real peace, because the debt is forgiven. The simplicity, the simplicity of coming before God. So wisdom is justified by all her children. Right there, you're seeing the way the Pharisee related to the woman, the way Jesus related to the woman. Which one got the right outcome? It's not rocket science. Jesus got the desired outcome, which is simply to see someone's life delivered from sin and brought into the peace of God. That's simply the outcome that we're looking for. In church, Christians love to debate doctrine, don't they? They love to debate Well, our church does this. Well, our church does this. Well, that's great. If you're excited about how God's working in your church, great. I want to hear about it. But there are those times in those conversations. It's not, well, hey, let me tell you what we're excited about in our church. It's, oh, well, your church does that. Our church does it this way. Have you heard that tone? I just want to slap that tone. I'm just confessing that out loud. In my heart, I have the heart of slapping. Because that tone is a sure giveaway of the Pharisee philosophy of ministry. That's how you just put it in that category. Now, we might be wrong. on No church has it all right. But we can be wrong on a lot of things and God can still work. Say amen. Because even in a little dysfunctional ministry, God can still work. Do you know why? Because it's ultimately about the grace of God and God's ability to work in the hearts of people who are actually open to him. So we can get some things wrong in how we do church and even a few doctrinal things be wrong. And yet our heart can still be right. Good soil can still have a a, a few rocks in it and the seed will take hold. We'll see that coming in Luke. But we could have all perfect doctrine. And a legalistic or this outward show of mentality in our hearts. And God can't work with that. Even Jesus would teach good things among people who couldn't hear what he said. Ultimately, we're saying, God, we're going to pursue you and your word the best we can. And that's why we in Calvary Chapel go verse by verse. It helps us get the whole story. It protects us against being out of balance doctrinally. It eventually uh, does the job of offending everybody. So you will have your turn. If we go through the scriptures, rather than take topical hobby horse scriptures, then we'll be balanced. We'll all be faced with difficult things. And over the years, it produces maturity in a church. And that's the wisdom, I believe, of 
teaching the whole Bible, Genesis to Revelation, with a single purpose of knowing more about Jesus. Did you know the whole Bible is about Jesus? And in fact, Jesus said it was. John 5, 39 and 40. When we read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, your favorite book, Leviticus, right? Job. Remember, it has something to do with the work and ministry of Jesus Christ. If we're looking for just doctrine or just history, we've missed the point. Missed the point completely. The evidence of the wisdom of Jesus is seen in the result in this woman's life. And the onlookers, maybe it's even you, you're saying, can I really completely, completely yield my life to Jesus? Can I really? What will happen? What if he wants me to do things I don't want to do? Like have peace? Have the peace of God? Maybe you've tried it your way, and it's not quite working. I don't say that with a judgmental tone. Do you hear judgmental tone in my voice? I'll work a little harder. It didn't work for you. It's that my grand, my grandpa voice. I have eight grandkids. <laughs> Look, it's amazing how God lets you try it your way until you come to that place where you're going, it's not quite working. And then you say, Lord, okay, I'm ready now. And he goes, okay. And you find that throughout the Bible, God takes you when you're ready. And he's going to do the very things you were trying to accomplish, but couldn't do. Put your life in order, bring you to a place of peace, resolve relationships, get rid of the bitterness, move on to the sweet cup of coffee. They might be hard lessons, but they're important. I want to give you four things, just application things, as we wrap up this message this morning. But I think the lesson is so plain and powerful that as we're deciding whether to believe Jesus or not, we can just see which one got the right results. Jesus did. Four things. I hope you write these down. Number one is to allow Jesus to forgive you. And I said it in that way because that might sound strange because you're thinking, well, doesn't he want to forgive me? That's not the question whether he wants to forgive you. The question is whether you will allow him to forgive you. And he's going to do it when you ask him to. Because it has to be your choice. It's your choice. And sometimes we don't want God to forgive us because we like our little pity party. We like being offended because it gives us excuses for not serving the Lord. It gives us an out. Okay, I'll just look at the wall while I say that. 
So I'm, you don't think I'm talking directly to any of you. It's easy to hold on to the offense that happened because that's easier than just dealing with it. But number one, allow God to forgive you. Acts 3.19 is an amazing verse. It says, repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. I love how that puts it all together. Repent, blotting out our sins, and refreshing coming from the presence of the Lord. Number two, fill your mind with the good things of God. Because the truth is, even once you allow the Lord to forgive you, it's easy to fall back onto those old, those old feelings or offenses, isn't it? In fact, it's a reflex. You've worked hard at those reflexes over the years. I'm not going to just give up. I'm, I'm, it comforts you somewhat to just wallow in these old things. When somebody pays off your credit card, what's the next thing you do? That's not a trick question. You get that credit card out of your wallet. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll look over here. Are you with me? Let the Lord pay off your debt and get rid of the little mechanism in your life for starting to re-incur that debt. That means in your daily life, put your mind in the right place. This is the Philippians 4 passage. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate or just think over and over on these things. The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the peace of God will be with you. And it goes on to say, Paul says, the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Put a, will going to guard you because the tendency is to go back to those old things. Let the Lord deliver you and keep you free. Number three, this is important. I want you to live for the approval of God and not man. Worship team, you can go ahead and come on up. I'll tell you the last point after church. So you can write it down. One of the things I say this because one of the things that keeps pulling us back into the old ways is worrying about what people think of us. Are you, are you nodding yes? Are you with me? Do you see that tendency in your own life? Right now, I'm worried about what you think of me. We are all just prone to that. I'm serving you, God, with my whole heart for your approval, and then you look at other people to approve of that. It's a trap. And of course, you want to be around people who encourage you, to support you, but not everybody's going to. 
And all of us are, uh, let me tell you, some of the people who are the most guilty of this is pastors. Oh, if I can talk to young pastors and say, stop worrying about what other people think of you. You learn this about the time you're ready to retire in the ministry. I hate that. So I'm on my redemption tour. You can like me or not. I hope you do like me. But man, that is a a pitfall. To want the people to like you, to worry about what other pastors think of you. You get asked to speak at conferences. Man, it just plagues, plagues pastors. The quicker we can just get over that and live for the Lord's approval, the better off we'll be. The last thing, number four, is importantly ask Jesus to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Remember John the Baptist said that he baptizes in water and to repentance, but Jesus will come after me. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, the ability to do anything that I've shared with you this morning is not in you to do. You don't have the ability to just suddenly say, I'm going to live in the peace of God. You don't have the ability to stop worrying about what people think of you. It's not in you. you we're all just pathetic. And I mean that in love. Okay? If you just acknowledge, I really am, un- I'm completely unable to do this then you will just let the Lord enable you to do it. In fact, he said, John 15, abide in me and I in you as the branch can do nothing of itself. Have you heard those words before? You've all heard it before. The branch can do nothing of itself. Abiding is simply being connected. It's a Bible word that we don't use anymore, but you know what it means to be connected, don't you? How many of you are looking at your phone right now? I can't live without being connected. Everything we do is where can I find gas? Where can I find the best coffee in town? Where's my hotel? You know what it means to be connected. Just be connected to Jesus and see Everything that just flows out of it. As soon as you lose lose connection, you know it. I'm looking at my wife go, did did the internet drop? I I cannot live one more second without getting the Wi-Fi back on. And it's that kind of constant connection with the Lord that produces all the results. It's you're not producing it. Luke eleven thirteen. If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? We'll close there. Let's stand together. There was this idea that Jesus was saying, well, what if I ask and God doesn't answer my prayer? What if he gives me something I didn't ask for? And Jesus is saying, look, you give good things to your children. 
You think God can't be trusted? Let's just ask the Lord for good things and believe that he will give us good things.